It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I've been having a wonderful pre-recording conversation with the wonderful Noor Jahan. Did I pronounce your name? Perfect. Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) I want to get it right. And it's just been so lovely meeting you. I mean, we've spent over an hour together chatting about all different subject matters. And there's the two places that I'm really interested to begin and a little bit torn, but I think we can kind of weave the two together. And those two places are one, I noticed how lit up you got when we were talking about expectations. And the second is we've also been talking a lot about your career unfolding and transforming and maybe reaching something new, a new point or a new phase And I'm really interested to hear about that because when I was first introduced to you through the written word, through an email exchange, it was positioned around your story of unexpectedly making it to the semifinals of the 2022 Sports Illustrated Swim Search Competition, which really wasn't that long ago. The more I read it out loud, I'm like, that was just last year. So super interesting. This big unexpected thing happens in your life last year and it inspired you. And it seems like alongside that, you're stepping into some new professional choices and phases, like I said. So it's a multifaceted question. I want to know how things are unfolding for you right now. And maybe there's a parallel with expectations, given that something unexpected happened to you last year. Why is that resonating with you so much? I love this. And I love how you drew the parallels between this idea of what I wrote in about unexpectedly making it to something and now how I view expectations. So I'll start with the competition and not going into detail about it in terms of like the process. But I think the biggest thing I learned is that I enjoyed the entire process so much because I didn't have expectations. And it might sound odd, like, okay, why are you entering a competition that you don't want to win, that you don't want to place in? And it was more of me celebrating that I had this childhood dream, and I just pursued it. That was enough celebration for me. That kept me on a high. Like, good for you, Noor. Like, you could have gone your entire life just holding on to this dream, but you put yourself out there and sounds cheesy. I already felt like I won because that's what I had been battling doing. So that's why it felt so unexpected because... I didn't have any expectations about what happens after I put myself out there. I was putting myself out there. I was being authentic. I was getting to know other women and I was enjoying that. So of course there was disappointment when I didn't make it. And of course, as soon as you make it to a next round, I mean, it would be silly for me not to want to advance to the next round, right? Like that Because that was a lifelong dream. I processed the disappointment, but I couldn't help but be really happy about how much I enjoyed it. And I couldn't help but be happy about how much it did not like affect me in a negative way, not 
winning. Like it reminded me that, okay, there's hopefully got a good head on your shoulders and reminding myself that I have perspective on what's important to me in life and like being grateful for the things that are going well. And so then I guess it gave me this confidence to live life without expectations. And I'm really just pulling that together based on your question. But I feel like that's where I'm at now, like to get to your second part, right? Like the career choices and what's happening. And maybe that's what's happening is I'm putting myself out there because I feel like that experience gave me the confidence to live without expectations. Wow. That is really resonating with me today in a way that I didn't expect. (laughs) Yeah. I actually really struggle a lot with expectations. I get attached to things, even though I've done so much inner work and mindfulness practices and being present. I don't know if it's an old mental habit. I don't know what it is, or maybe it's just a common human experience of getting attached and expecting something. And I struggle a lot with disappointment. In fact, I went through a disappointing experience recently professionally, and it didn't even occur to me until you started talking like that I could relate in some way to what you're describing because this professional endeavor that I was pursuing involved multiple rounds, you know, that experience of like, oh, let me just see if I make any progress in something at all. Maybe I'll just try it. You try something. And at the time, often it doesn't feel like there's any expectation at all. You think like, this is just a whim. I'll give it a try and see what happens. But I started to get attached once I moved to the next round of something, the next stage of something, the next tier of something, like moving upwards. The bottom level is where I don't have expectations. (laughs) But Mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. I start to make progress and I get excited, there's hope. That's where it feels tough. And then if I get really close to something and it doesn't work out, that is a very, very challenging thing for me to process. I feel grief. I feel confusion. Like, well, I tried really hard and I thought this was going to work out and it didn't. And I struggle with getting that news of, hey, somebody else got something that you really wanted. Yeah. And it does require some level of confidence, I suppose. But I think what most resonated with me is what you're saying about enjoying the journey. Isn't that one of the best pieces of advice in life? It's like, it's all about the journey, not the destination. And maybe I am too focused on the destination and the journey hasn't felt so pleasant and it might require more intentional work to just see like, this is the journey. This is all that matters. (laughs) This is the best part. Yeah. Well, to give you a frame of reference, I'm listening to you talk about how you kept advancing. And then as you got closer and closer, you wanted it more. Do you know what I was thinking that entire time, Whitney? I was like, I don't even know what that feels like to get close. And I'm not saying it in a self-deprecating way. I'm not saying it in a self-pity way. Like I have never been that person that has been close to winning something or in the top three, in the running for something big. And I'm not pitying myself. It's just not been my frame of reference because I've never been used to that. I'm listening to you and I'm like, oh my gosh, I wonder what that feels like to be in the running for whatever competition or thing you're in. I'm like, what does that feel like? I don't even know. And like, maybe that ignorance is bliss. Like maybe that's good because I feel like the closest I got, as you were talking, the closest I feel like I've gotten to something like that. I'll never forget. I was in fifth grade and 
my best friend in fifth grade and we were like two peas in a pod and always hanging out. But fifth grade was the end of elementary school and then we were going to move on to middle school. So I don't know why we were standing up there all graduating and we're standing in front of the room and she got announced as student of the year. We both were like the same, almost per same grade, same activities in fifth grade. And I'm standing in front of the audience full of our parents and I burst into tears because I felt like I was so close. Like, why did I get student of the year? And that was this one time I can think that I was like, and I don't know what made me think that I was in the running. And my parents, I could just sort of see them in the audience kind of laughing because it was so endearing that I'm literally crying at the fifth grade graduation. And my dad talked to me that night and he was amazing and trying to make me feel better. And he kept talking and this stayed with me. I wrote, it's funny that it's just coming up now organically. I swear to everyone listening, we didn't talk about this before, but I was writing some thoughts in my head yesterday And my father was one of the first times I remember him talking to me and trying to make me feel good. And what he was doing was he was talking about all of my achievements. And he said, well, listen, you know, you achieved this at the science fair. Then, And then he's like, and you had such a great birthday party. And we went to India and saw your grandparents and you achieved this with your best friend. You and her went to Disneyland. And I kept thinking like, those aren't achievements. Those are just things I did in my life right? And then I noticed this about my father. That's what I wrote in my notes yesterday. He talks about everything, not just career, not just your passion. He talks about life in terms of achievement, right? So everything he sees is an achievement. So if we go on a great vacation and we come home and we're sad that vacation's done, he's like, but look, we achieved such a great vacation. Like, well, you know, be ha- like we achieved that. And I thought that was so interesting how he uses that terminology to talk about life. Like after my husband and I got married, he's like, what an achievement. Like we achieved such a great wedding. Everyone was happy and everyone ate good food. And I think most of us think of achievement in terms of enter a competition or schooling or career. And I love that. And I think that's really influenced how I think about life. Like I'm so excited when we come back from a vacation and I can like high five my husband. Like that was awesome. We made core memories, had the best time with our friends, had great pictures, ate great food. And like we crushed Mexico City. Even though that's supposed to be non-productive recharge time, in my head, I'm like, that's an achievement. And I'm trying to think about like why I feel like I can enjoy the journey and I'm not thinking about the destination as much as other people because the more pessimistic side of me is saying, I've never really been in the running. So if you're not in the running, you got to enjoy <laughs> you got to enjoy what you can. Or there's part of me that's like my dad can do is find an achievement in everything. Oh, I love that. Finding an achievement in everything. And that's something actually that's a big part of well-being. I learned this when I went through my coaching certification program last year is like the power of gratitude and really acknowledging things. And I think that's why there's a big trend of doing gratitude journaling because it actually has been shown to make a massive impact on us to just look at all the little things that we achieve, that we accomplish Versus maybe the external definitions of it, the focus that our society has around celebrity and the Forbes lists of like 30 under 30 and all of that, which yeah. to me feel <laughs> actually counter impactful. I was going to say counterintuitive, but I think a lot of when we're growing up, there's a lot of messaging around trying to become the best. Like your friend 
Of course, you're going to feel sad if the society is honoring somebody, but what about everybody else who worked just as hard and as just as deserving this whole winners versus losers or the gold medalists? And you think about athletes and performers that don't win these big awards, but they're just as worthy. Maybe this person just had a slight edge over them, but there's a huge gap between somebody on the top, the greatest of all time, for example, which is also a term that is really strange. It's like, really? How do you know the greatest of how much time? (laughs) I think our society focuses so much on that and we become so achievement oriented, but not in the way that your dad was saying. It's more, how can we prove our worthiness to others all the time? But each of us are concerned with other people's perceptions of us. Right. So everybody's concerned about what other people are thinking of them. Like, how do we find that internal satisfaction for ourselves when we're so outward focused? I, mean, I think it is such an eternal struggle. But I guess sometimes the way I think of as you're talking about the greatest of all time, and we know we have gold medalists and people who want to be the best and strive to be number one. And again, this is not critical at all because I don't know what that mindset is like. I've never been that way. And actually, like competitiveness gives me anxiety, right? When I meet competitive people, I get anxiety. I'm like, okay, don't know, like, are we going to be friends or maybe we can be friends, but I don't know. It just gives me a lot of anxiety and I don't have sisters. So I think sometimes I feel like my friends with sisters, this is me totally uneducatedly analyzing situations that they can deal with competitiveness better. I don't know, but it just, it gives me so much anxiety because I'd like to think that I'm not a competitive person. I'm very competitive with myself. Like I want to give my best at everything that I'm doing so that I feel really good about myself when I go to bed at night. But sometimes look at people like that are competitive or have goals to be number one and like unpopular opinion, Whitney, like I'm so happy that I don't want the gold medal. I'm so happy that I don't want to be number one because that will plague me. And instead, like, all right, I'm just going to hang out, watch TV with my husband. Like there's parts of me that are like, I am so happy that I don't have this like in the back of my head needing because sometimes I think it's people they need that and more power to them when they go pursue it. But I have gotten to a place in life, it would be forced if I came here and told you like, I want to be the best at this. It would feel forced. But there was a time where I thought, well, that's what I need to act like or say in order to show people I'm serious about whether I'm like pursuing screenwriting or whether I'm pursuing my profession. I am so serious and you'll know it because I want to be number one. Whereas now I can just say like, good enough is great. I think we need to start normalizing that. I couldn't agree more. And it ties into our conversation earlier about social media before we started recording and how stepping away from social media for the most part, I'm not entirely off of it, but I don't Mm -hmm. use it the way I used to. And because of that, I've had a chance to really observe how other people tend to use it. And over the years of my work on social, I've, I've seen so many people measure someone's value and worth based on social media metrics. It's never sat well with me. There was a time in which I was part of that world and really striving towards growing and growing, but everybody else was growing and growing. There was really no way to get to the top very easily. And then I would meet some of the top influencers, content creators in my Mm -hmm. space in the health and wellness world, or even on certain platforms. Like I met one of the biggest YouTube stars at the time and noticed how that person really didn't want to be part of that system. They just kind of happened to be in it. And then 
they grew so large, like the team they were working with maintained it. And I could see how it didn't sit well with them, that world. And it didn't give them this great satisfaction or feeling of achievement. It actually felt really challenging and full of pressure. And more recently, because YouTube was a huge part of my career for a long time, And just in the past few months, there's been a few announcements from some of the top YouTube creators of all time, the greatest YouTubers of all time, (laughs) we'll put it that way. At least two of them have come up recently announcing that they have cancer. And I don't think that there's a correlation between YouTube and cancer. But as I was watching one of them share the news, I thought, oh my gosh, Like I remember this person just seeming like they had it all. They were so well-known. They got all of these great career opportunities. And now here they are sitting on their couch, sharing one of the hardest news a human being would ever have to share in their lives. And I just couldn't help but wonder, wow, I bet you those metrics and all that success does not matter anymore to them. Yeah. Because all they are concerned about right now is surviving, making it to the next day. And speaking of like making it to the next step, like it ties back into what we're started talking about here, it's like, there's a whole shift in perspective from let me try to advance my career and my successes versus let me just try to make it to the next day and stay alive. I mean, the latter sounds like so much more important, but our society has had us focus so much on the former. And even what you're describing, I think those moments of sitting on the couch with a loved one sounds so wonderful. (laughs) I want more of those in my life. Yeah. Gosh, it's like we went to this like great event last Saturday with our friends. We had such a good time. We came back and we have this ridiculously like deep couch. And just for fun, my husband just turned it into a couch bed. And it was just like a couch bed. And we're both sitting there watching a movie. There was such joy and play in that. Like we're just tossing pillows and we turned it into this. And I thought, I'm like, oh, I feel like a teenager. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. I wouldn't trade that for... I see people wanting to go to the best parties or be invited to the best things or wear the best clothes. And I just wouldn't trade that. I wouldn't give this up for that kind of pressure to sustain. Yeah, everybody reaches those points at different stages of life. And each of us have different priorities and influences. And I'm curious, first of all, going back to this swimsuit illustrated competition, because you said you never made it very far. But this line that I'm reading says you made it to the semifinals. So how do you define far? (laughs) That was probably the first time that like something like that's happened. And I'm not suggesting that I have not had successes. Like I feel really proud of looking back at my success in my career or education, just more so of these like these contests or competitions or to your point, like amassing like titles and that's not been my world. And I'm not suggesting that it's always other people's worlds, but some people I feel like it happens to them or they're in the running or they've entered industries where it really is down neck and neck to like choosing between two people. And the industry I'm in, it's not necessarily one in corporate America where you have to choose between two people. I mean, yes, I guess we're interviewing for a job. So that's why like making it as far as I did, which is to that year, what they called the semifinal round that year, because it changes how they structure their competition every year. I was blown away. Like I literally ran out to tell my husband... And the first words out of my mouth were, things like this don't happen to me. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> right? Like, he had to remind me, he's like, well, I mean, you did enter the competition because you, you wanted to pursue this dream. But how do you achieve dreams if you don't pursue them? Right? But, and I forgot your question now, Whitney. 
I mean, that was part of it was looking at the definition of making it far. But now I'm curious, why was that a dream for you? I've spoken about this in a few times in the past couple of months, but it's because I was struggling as a young girl to find my identity. And I didn't really talk about that a lot because I don't feel like it was some traumatic experience that was the foundation of wanting to find my identity. It's just I grew up in a melting pot, but also a microcosm. And I have my background. My parents are of the Indian culture, but they practice the Islamic faith. So, and the Indian culture is very influenced by the Hindu religion. So you can imagine I'm like have this Indian culture, the Islamic faith. And then I was born and raised in Southern California. So I'm an American girl growing up in like the 80s and the 90s. Like it's like Pamela Anderson, Baywatch. So just all of these things. And I just was always mesmerized by the women in their bikinis in Sports Illustrated at the beach because that wasn't a part of my life as a child. And everything I couldn't do, I wanted to do. Everything that I was told is either like not aligned to our culture or like against the religion. It's always something I was drawn to. And I don't think it was because I was just this awful human being or that I was trying to rebel. It was just, as a little kid, I was trying to figure it out. And no boys allowed meant that all I wanted to do is have crush on boys at six or seven years old. So it's like, I was just so drawn to that. And then in my 20s, when I thought it was like the time to pursue modeling or to try to like, do I actually try to make that dream a reality? I was still just living too much of a double life and trying really hard to like not expose the non-Indian, non-Muslim life to my parents or to my community. So it felt like it was impossible to try to go out for Sports Illustrated. And that too, it's like, at that time, they didn't have an open casting call. I mean, having to like pursue a professional modeling career, like how am I supposed to have that kind of conversation with my immigrant parents that we've constantly seen a struggle with about my identity? And so when I finally feel like I came to a place of just being really proud of figuring out this trifecta of identities, and when I finally got to that place of contentment is then when I voiced it for the first time to my husband and said, I've always wanted to do this. And the stars did align because they do open casting calls and they had this amazing private app through which you could apply. So I felt like, okay, even though I'm not ready to go full force in the public forum, like in a bikini, it's like dipping my toes in and being able to share it in that private network was amazing. So I think that's why I was celebrating that achievement that like you put yourself out there and that's an achievement in and of itself. That's such a cool story. And the element of voicing our dreams can be so challenging because sometimes it's even hard to acknowledge to ourselves. One of mine that I'm still uncomfortable voicing, but I'll say it anyways, is I just recently in my life started feeling interested in climbing Mount Everest, (laughs) which feels like such a huge thing. And I'm like, I don't want to tell anybody about I'm here. I'm telling people, but I've been uncomfortable sharing it because it feels so incredibly hard and challenging. And I'm like, I'm just now starting to do any sort of training. And like, will I, will it even be possible? You know, like all these questions come up. It's scary to say something out loud and then go for it. Yeah. And yet we kind of have to do that because certainly we can do things in secret, I suppose. But I'm curious if you hadn't told your husband, for example, do you still think you would have done it? Still think you would have gone after it if if you told no one and just did it completely in secret? No, I really do think that for me, like I know this is different for other women and other people, but finding a partner with whom I am so authentically myself 
just, it really did give me, even though I felt like I wouldn't have found him if I hadn't really embraced my identity. I mean, through the entire journey of being with him up until us getting married, I evolved even more. So that companionship, that partnership was a big reason. And for all my feminist sisters out there, like I, I'm totally like all you know, girls, let's do it. We don't need our partners. I get that. But just for me in this case, like it's just the stability, the safe space. And because I think I grew up with this fear and that's why I lived so much of life in secret because I was afraid of losing my loved ones. So that fear is why I just opted for like, okay, I have my secret life and I have this or my secret life and my outward life. And when I married my partner, it made me feel like, oh, I'm not going to lose this person based on some of the things that used to be my secret life. Like I'm not going to lose this person and I don't ever have to worry that I'm going to lose this person over me pursuing a dream that feels like it's not harming anyone. And that was always my struggle. Like these things I wanted to do, it's like, I'm not harming anyone. I'm not hurting anyone. But why does it feel then that I might be outcast from my community? I don't want to lose these people. I don't want to lose the community, but it's just because I want something that doesn't align with an institution or a religion. I could lose all of them. And then I was like, I can go out for Sports Illustrated and I will not lose my partner. I have someone and that security because I think I just got tired. I mean, I was so exhausted of living the secrets. I was like, I just I can't do it anymore. Yeah, secrets can be exhausting. <laughs> exhausting. They come out one way or another, whether it's like through a dream or through just not being able to hold them in anymore, or maybe they come out through resentment and pain. And I just feel like life pushes us to be authentic. And yeah. if we're not really living our truth, we suffer somehow, even if it's an internal suffering. So it's such a beautiful story Absolutely. to hear that evolving and to also hear how supportive your husband's been. One thing I know you wanted to share more about, and I'm really curious to hear about is your professional endeavor together. You started a product line and I'm curious, when did you start that? Why did you start it? And let's start with what it is. I would like you to hear in your yeah. words. <laughs> what have you done together and why? I know. I crack up because if you meet him and anyone who knows me, it could not be more opposite. So the idea of the two of us going into a business venture together always cracks me up. So it all like after we got engaged, was like, okay, I'm going to get healthier. I need to... Whatever we're doing, wedding planning, like how do I get healthier? So one of my friends from business school, I think she still had a marketing at Sakara, which is that plant-based program. And she had always kind of mentioned it to me. I bumped into her a couple of times in the city. She mentioned, she said, hey, if you ever want to try it, like... Your discount code, you should try it. So I signed up for the meal plan and I really liked it. And I felt healthy. I felt great. I was feeling really good. And I was just doing their lunch and dinner options because I always ate protein bars in the morning for uh, breakfast. And one day my husband said, the protein bar you're eating is not plant-based, but you're on this like plant-based diet Monday through Friday, but that bar is not plant-based. And I kind of went, ah, yeah, I know. It is what it is. And he looked at it. He like looked into it more. And then a week later, he said, you know, I'm going to make you one. I'm going to make you a plant-based protein bar. And I'm like, you are? And he said, yeah. He's like, I can do it. I'm going to figure out who I need to work with. Let's see if we could do this. Like, why would you just eat if your plant-based is making you feel good? Like, go all the way. Like, eat a plant-based protein bar. 
And he brought me home some and I did not think they tasted great. So I was like, I'll just stick to this regular protein bar. And that was really the impetus that got his brain working and going. So it was really his baby. And I also, I honest to God, Whitney, I think that part of it also was like very therapeutic to work on that during wedding planning, during a pandemic. Like that's such a high stress situation of trying to figure out, are we having a wedding? Are we not during the pandemic? And working on this plant-based protein bar was his pet project. It was away from the stress. And then I started getting more involved because he got in touch with food scientists and he got in touch with manufacturers and he would start bringing me in to say, okay, like, well, taste this. And that's when I started getting excited about like, well, what did you add? What's that aftertaste? And how can we use a different type of plant-based protein? And we just started talking and having all these different conversations with food scientists and manufacturers. And you learn a lot about the food and CPG world really quickly. And out of that was born FGP bar. So fiber greens, proteins bar. And what I love about him is his tenacity, but also he's got that entrepreneurial like MVP product. Let's try it. Let's put it out there. Let's get samples out and see what people's feedback is. And he also, in a great way, doesn't care. Like if people came back and said, this is awful, it's like, great. Thanks for the feedback. Where I am the type of person where I'm like, we cannot give this to our friends or we can't give this to people who have a big following. Like if it tastes bad, like it's going to be such a poor reflection on us and the business and it's not right yet. It's not right. And and he just doesn't worry about those things. He's like, someone not liking my bar is not going to be the end of my day or ruin my week. Like back to the drawing board. And so I think we balanced each other out and we tried to launch in... I think March of last year with the product and we had thought we perfected the taste. We were so happy when we went to mass produce it, like the taste changed. So we're sitting here with like 6,000 bars that don't taste good. And when I say they don't taste good, they tasted awful. And <laughs> I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like this is the end. Like we're done. This is it. All right. That was, that was the cute side project we had. He refused to give up. He just, but also I think refusing to give up is something that I see people do more easily when their attitude is so positive and they're so less affected. Like people that give zero f- are able to get back on the horse and like figure it out. And that was my husband. He gave zero f-. It didn't taste good. Our own friends were like, I'm so sorry, this tastes awful. And I'm feeling embarrassed. I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, like we the bed. We lost our chance with these big manufacturers. And he's like, all right, thanks for the feedback. I'll get back to you when I can. And that's it. And went back to the drawing board. So it's now been almost like a year and a half later of trying to make sure we can get the ingredients, have a taste that we like and lay a stake in the ground of like who we're trying to market to and who we're not. Because everyone's going to say, add this, don't add this, don't. It's like all these no pun intended, cooks in the kitchen. And we came out with a recipe that we're happy with, we're excited about, and we're getting ready to like launch in August this new formulation and we're excited about it. I'm admittedly like always nervous and he's just like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get out there. And so it's, yeah, FGP bar and we'll be launching in August. And I'm really excited about it. And I'm just excited because I look at it now and I really appreciate that it's two people that are in a marriage that are also able to figure out a way to compliment each other in trying their hand at a business together. So it's awesome. That is awesome. And for the listener, we're talking in July 2023. So by the time this episode comes out, the launch will have happened. It's so interesting when that happens. It's like we're kind of speaking into the future right now, (laughs) talking about these bars. We totally are. And we're really excited about it. And even like when I remember when we were talking about being on this podcast, it hadn't even 
come up in my mind to talk about it with you, Whitney, originally. And then it's like saw in your show notes that a lot of your listeners are plant-based. And I was excited about that because like I feel like we have a bigger appreciation for that community because we were talking to so many folks that are plant-based or that practice it part-time or And I feel like I practice it during the week thanks to a meal program (laughs) that has made my life convenient. But talking to people who it's their lifestyle and the the reasons for why it's their lifestyle, we learned a lot. We figured out a lot. So, I mean, we're happy. We actually have a discount code for all of your listeners. And we are excited about that. It's very easy to remember. It's Whitney Two Zero. Oh, nice. <laughs> so 20% off. W-H-I-T-N-E-Y two zero. Whitney 20. And I will put that in the show notes for anyone who can't remember such an easy discount code. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> and listen, if you don't like it, my husband's feelings won't be hurt. We welcome the feedback, (laughs) but we hope you do love them. I think that's so cool because I've been in the CPG space, which people that don't know the term that stands for consumer packaged goods. I've done product reviews for so long and that's how I got started and really led to the show in some ways. And let me tell you, I've tried a lot of bars. I have not tried these yet, so I can't give any opinion, but just hearing the story of how this gets made... It's not easy. And I think it's so helpful to talk about how hard it is because when you're a consumer, maybe you just think this is supposed to be good. You don't think about what goes into so many factors and even how much can change from your kitchen to a factory. I think a lot of people are unaware of that and the quality control. And I love those stories. One of my favorite shows of all time is Shark Tank and just hearing how people built a brand and going to the trade shows. Nora, I'm curious, have you ever been to the Natural Products Expo? I have not. Oh my gosh. I have it, not. Tell me more. <laughs> I could talk all day about it. It's coming up in September. So I'll tell you more offline, but it's essentially a huge trade show for the natural products industry. And I've been going every year since 2010, maybe lost track, but it's amazing because you get to meet the people that developed things. And you can give people feedback there. But I've noticed some companies are not good at taking feedback and almost in like a defensive way. And I suppose you always have to filter out feedback. I mean, this is true with anything, whether you're building a brand or it's just personal thing and somebody sharing their opinion on you. Not all of it's going to resonate, but the fact that your husband can take it in and consider it and either and just kind of like sort through it, it sounds like that is a skill. Because I'm like you, truly, every negative feedback, I take so much to heart to the point where sometimes it's hard to move forward because I get into this place of, wow, I can't please anyone. It's never going to be good enough. And to have someone in your team that's saying, yes, we're going to get there and we just have to keep going and we're either going to ignore this or we're going to take it seriously to make it better. That's an amazing team member. It really is. And the thing is, is folks like you and I who might be really affected by that feedback, I find that I tend to then just not share things. And then it's like keeping them to myself. And at some point I have to like snap out of it and say, well, if I just keep this to myself, it's never going to see the light of day, right? Whether that's like, if I'm working on a script, I like to write TV pilots and movie scripts. And if I'm like, well, okay, and I love it. I love it for myself. But at some point, 
you have to be confident enough to say, okay, like this is not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And that's fine. And I think about like, I don't know why it's when I'm creating something, I feel more, I guess the word is like insecure about sharing it, whether it's my writing, like, or pitching the scripts or the FGP bars versus I like to think that I have lived my life from a very young age knowing I'm not everyone's cup of tea. So sometimes I'm like, how come I can't translate that when I think of myself to like the things I'm creating? And I'll never forget one of my best friends when we first met. I think I'd always felt that, but she articulated it when she said, yeah, my mom always raised me to remember that I'm going to walk into a room and I will not always be someone taller than me, smarter than me, funnier than me, prettier than me. And that means I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea. That is okay. You cannot live your life expecting that you're going to walk in the room and be the best. And if you do, you will always be met with disappointment. And so we'd always talk about that and have that conversation with one another. And I felt really... And I could say I take a lot of pride in that, that I'm totally fine that I'm not everyone's cup of tea. I kind of don't care. But why can't I translate that kind of attitude when it comes to my scripts or the bars? I don't know yet. And maybe it doesn't have to be translated because I think that most people I've listened to in an interview, like really successful people, they they all seem to have that feeling one way or another. Like even if they've been incredibly successful, it doesn't mean that they feel that all the time and they're not scared. I think the difference is doing it anyways. And it sounds like you are doing it anyways, yeah. you know, with the swimsuit oh, yeah. competition and launching food bars and maybe pursuing screenwriting in a bigger way over time. But even doing something just for yourself, like screenwriting, can lead to you sharing it more with others, as we've been talking about today, like that secret project that maybe you finally start to put out there just to see how it goes. Yeah, And the reassurance that even the most successful people have flops. I mean... It's hard to be at the top. Someone who comes to mind around that is Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And I think Mm -hmm. it was in one of her books that she said, maybe somebody had like come up to her and said, how do you feel knowing like nothing you ever do will be as successful as that book? (laughs) Yeah, I misquoted it, I'm sure. But it was that sentiment of thinking, wow, I've had such a huge success. Chances are nothing will ever be as successful as that. And yet I'm still going to create anyways. And all the judgment from people saying, well, this book isn't as good as that one. We all do that naturally. And yet I also know I'm rooting for somebody to make something just as good as the first, if not better. I want it to happen, but I recognize how hard it is. And the hard part about it is, and it's amazing to have people like Whitney in your corner who are rooting for you to match that level of success that you achieved with your Please Stay Resistance book or album. But I think the hard part about that is that the creator doesn't control other people's definition of success. And so I'm reading a book right now, and it's like an unauthorized biography on my grandfather. And he is arguably the most legendary music composer in India. He's been long past, but we were very close. And his life is amazing, but his talent was like genius level. And that is why he was so successful as a music composer. And this book talks about the different movies for which he composed music and background scores. And sometimes it's a pretty sterile and pretty ruthless assessment of like each film and how successful those films were at the box office and 
Well, he had flop after flop after flop, right? Because his music is associated with the film. And it's so funny because I grew up listening to all of those songs and movies that were considered flops. The music he created for those is like nothing you would ever imagine. No one, I am biased, but I don't think anyone's going to create music like that ever again. And I remember him and people always said there was this one film of his, which has actually been turned into a like musical and it's for the first time ever has, has been touring North America. It's amazing. It's called Mugliasm. And that was a film that came out in like 1960. He had been making music for films since the 1930s and he continued to make music for films until he passed in 2006. But the way people talk about him is his pinnacle was Mugliasm. And what he would say to me, people would start interviewing him and like, oh, like, can you pick your favorite movie that you did music for your favorite song? He's like, I'll never pick a favorite. And also anytime people would criticize his music that came after Mugliasm, which was always to me feeling like so uncalled for, like he made such amazing movies after Mugliasm and the music was incredible. He said to me, he's like, there's no point in defending it because if I try to explain like that these are songs I love and that they're amazing, I just sound defensive. And I, when my music goes out into the world, it's no longer mine. And if I think it's still mine, then I'm going to be miserable as a music composer. It's no longer mine. Because I used to tell him like, how do you handle this? Like people are forgetting all of these other films you did, or they're like, you created amazing things after Mugliasa. I would get so worked up. And, and he said, he's like, these are not my songs anymore. And I love that detachment. It's like, this is someone who's so passionate and so talented, but that detachment, Whitney, is like why I think people continue to write books or make movies even after they've had their streak of Oscar wins and they're still there making films. Maybe there's a level of detachment that they're truly doing it because they love it. I think of athletes. I'm like, how do you go from like being part of a three-peat Los Angeles Lakers team to then like continuing to lose, but you're still playing basketball and you're not winning championships? You're talented, more talented than the average person, and you're passionate about it and you're gonna keep doing it. And you don't own your public persona. Other people do when you put it out there in the world. It's so interesting how it's coming full circle to the idea of expectations, detachment. That's something my therapist was <laughs> really <laughs> emphasizing in a lot of our sessions together. And I've still been sitting with that and how I can practice being less attached, less of the expectations, because that's often where the pain is, is being yeah. too attached when so much is out of our control, especially if anyone else is involved. And I think we have the most joy in our life with other people, and yet we can also feel the most pain from other people. And so if we have to be around other people to experience joy, maybe it's best for us to practice releasing expectations and attachment to things as best we can. But the key yeah. is practice because it certainly is not easy. And it is amazing that someone like your grandfather was able to achieve that. Speaking of achievements again, you've had some right? yeah. really powerful male influences in your life. You mentioned your father, your husband, your grandfather, and these lessons that they're teaching you and also embodying that from a feminist perspective, like you said, and finding that power of your own, your identity and just bringing it all together so you can bring forth new lessons for other people. It feels yeah. like that is something I was getting from you as, as I was reading about you before we met and as we were talking earlier, 
your drive to write and to speak and to inspire others. It sounds like you want to bring all of these influences in your own life towards other people to influence others and to continue that ripple effect. I do. And I do because I think that the negative feelings we all experience around other human beings, whether it's like resentment or competitiveness or jealousy and all of like, I don't want to call it the unkind behaviors because it's like, what is kind, right? I think we define it differently as different people in different stages of their lives, but the shitty behavior Like if people are more content with themselves, we're just going to be like, I think that it just makes social settings. It makes get togethers. It makes family get togethers just so much easier. And then we can find that joy in those human connections. But if you have a ton of people that you throw into a birthday party that are all really discontent, someone's inevitably going to get hurt, right? And even if you tell them a million times, like, well, it's not you, it's that person, that person's projecting, like, it's hard, we're human, we're still going to be hurt. And so I'm like wanting to bring all these experiences together and to storytell. It's more so because if I can string together all the different experiences and choices in my life and find some contentment from it, I'm not saying like, oh, I'm like this role model of all my achievements. I'm saying like, take ownership of your story. And it might not be the story that your parents expected of you. It might not be the story that you expected of yourself, but like take ownership of it. And once you take ownership of your story, you can in some shape or form control that narrative. And I think that's maybe what I want to keep telling people. Like, I'm not saying no one wakes up and intentionally, like if we all knew what choices we were going to make, we would make different choices. But after those choices have been made, it's like stop and reflect on them a bit, right? Like when you reach milestones, whether you've like been met with like an incredible failure or an incredible success, or you're at like a changing point in life, I do keep a journal and I do write and I do reflect. Like my rule is I write my journal entry for that day first. Like, I mean, we'll go through today. Tomorrow morning, first thing I'll do is I will write in that journal about today. But after I write about today, I will go back and I started that journal in 2015 and I will read every entry from 2015 from July 25th. And it's such good perspective. If I have been complaining about the same thing four entries in a row, that means I've been complaining. I haven't changed something for four years, right? Whether that's a relationship, a career, or a situationship with a friend, or my dynamic with my parents, or my health. And it gives such great perspective. Also, like if I'm like in a disagreement with my partner and I know that the next morning we're going to have to talk about it, if I have journaled, and I have read the prior entries from that prior day. And some of those entries are me showing so much gratitude for the person he is and what he did for me in that moment. I go into that disagreement conversation so different. And so I can control essentially my story and I'm controlling my narrative and the way my life is unfolding that day because I am now going into that conversation with a lot less anger because my entries were reflecting on my life and my choices has reminded me about what a great partner he is. So I think storytelling is so powerful. And I don't just mean in like books and scripts. Like even what we're doing now is like we're telling our stories to one another. And I always think about how Whitney, like unauthorized biographies or like those unauthorized lifetime films are made about famous people, their estates or their loved ones are really upset about it. Or when we read about famous people and their emails getting leaked or their texts being like exposed on social media, we're so upset for those people, right? And I'm trying to think like we're so upset for them and that violation of their privacy or the violation of like someone else telling their story. 
And that makes sense. But I, what I always focus on is like our reactions are so visceral. Like we are so appalled when we think like, oh my gosh, thank goodness that wasn't me whose emails were leaked or whose texts were exposed. And I mean, talk about empathy. In my head, I'm like, empathy is such a hard construct because we're literally telling people like, hey, you need to put yourself in other shoes and think about what they're going through. Okay, well, I can't put myself in Whitney's shoes. So like, how on earth do you expect me to give her empathy when I literally cannot ever live her life? But then something like this happens where someone's privacy is violated and we all suddenly feel empathy and are like, oh, I would never, ever want that to happen to me. And I feel so strongly and so visceral. And I always think about that. And I don't necessarily just focus on like that visceral reaction. To me, that equates to power. I'm like, we are all so empathetic to that person because they have lost the power to tell their story and their narrative, right? And when an unauthorized biography, like the one I'm reading about my grandfather, he is long past, like he's lost power to tell his story. So like if we all, so why I'm doing all this is like, maybe like we all feel insignificant sometimes, right? Like, am I going to change the world? Am I going to be president of the United States? Am I the biggest influencer? Am I a celebrity that's known by one name? No. And I might not be in this entire life that I live here on this earth. And that can sometimes make you feel powerless. But when you think about the power that you hold in your hands to tell your own story, Like that's huge. So we can't squander it. Each one of us is really powerful because we control our own story. So I always feel like it's really important to tell it and tell it well, because you don't want people to just celebrate your successes and be there for you when you fall. You want people to show you empathy on your life journey. And I don't know a better way to do that than through storytelling. Because I'm not perfect. I'm going to keep making mistakes. I'm going to like twist and turns throughout life. And all you can ask of other people is empathy, right? And how will they ever live in my shoes? I think the closest way is if I can tell my story well, right? And that's what social media is. That's what we're doing. We're trying to control the narrative. And I don't think that's a bad thing all the time. Like control the narrative means also like have a say in it, what the future is going to be, what that future looks like for your character. And I think like I've always manifested being on podcasts, talking to folks like you and obviously listen to Jay Shetty's podcast a lot. And I love what he does for the South Asian community. I love what the messages he puts out. And I always had this like, I'm like manifesting like, okay, like one day maybe I'll be with Jay, but I manifested wanting to be with you. And he always asked a question about if you could create one rule, new rule for the world to follow, what would it be? And I'm like, I know my answer. And it would be that every single human has to write their own autobiography. Like you don't get to like go to the next grade in school. Every year you are contributing to your own autobiography by writing that year's story into words. And so that we all leave a story on this earth after we've passed that is ours, that we wrote, we controlled. And I just think that it gives you a lot of contentment and and power and more than the power, the contentment to go enjoy life. Uh, That's powerful in so many ways because I think every human wants to feel seen and heard. And changing the narrative for me is recognizing that we do have the power to share our own story. And there's going to be at least one person who wants to listen. And you think about the ripple effect that our family members have on us. And you've inspired me to read my grandfather wrote about his life. I've actually never read it. And he wrote a book about his life and it's printed in in like a binder. I think I have stored away somewhere and I've never read it. I don't know why I haven't read it. I guess just feel like a priority, but... I'm excited for you. I'm curious (laughs) because 
it gives a legacy. It keeps someone alive and reminds you of the love that you had and the, the things you didn't know about them. That's actually really neat. And I've been drawn to that too. I think a lot of my work in the video world as a kid, I just love to tell stories and I like to document my life. And yeah. I often wondered, would anyone see or read the things that I made and I wrote? And if just one person stumbled across it and got to know me better or know me, maybe they never even met me because I passed away or something happened. Yeah. Like just being able to connect with people, that seems like one of the big themes in our conversation today is Absolutely. connecting with ourselves and connecting with other people through stories. And that's just such a beautiful mission that you're on and discovering our own identities and how that influences other people. There's been so many powerful things that you've shared here today. Of course, attachment and expectations and yeah. success. We covered a lot of ground. We covered it all. <laughs> Talk to you for hours. <laughs> well, we have been talking and for hours did. now. <laughs> just not all on the recording, but it's just been so wonderful. And for the listener, awesome. since Nora is on a mission of her own to be on more podcasts, there's probably so much more to discover after this episode. And I want to make it easy for you to find that. Are those listed on your website? Do you have like a log of all the other shows you've been on? Or So right now, I it's through my Instagram, ironically. <laughs> so and then website is coming. This is how new it is, Whitney. We're in under construction. But well, there is a website at... for the bars, the, yes. the FGP bars, which we'll put along with the Whitney 20 code for anyone who's interested. And then I'll link to the Instagram. And then maybe one of these days when you get the website up, send it over to me. I will put it in the show notes for those Thank that are you. listening. Absolutely and they can will. continue the journey. I mean, that's what's really exciting about where you're at is this is an unfolding that people get to witness in real time alongside you. And that's so special. Thank so, you. Thank you. And when you say it like that, it's awesome. Thank you so much. But <laughs> This awesome. like journey, all of this, it's like, I think I told Whitney this when, before we started recording, like people taking a chance on you and like people feeling a connection through words, right? Like I just read my words and you took a chance on me. And that's what it is too, like putting yourself out there and then finding people that somehow show you whatever you want to call it, kindness or empathy. And that is you, Whitney. You're so Aww. awesome. That's very sweet. And it is interesting. I guess I've never thought about it, like taking a chance on someone. I never know what the guest experience will be like, but it's very delightful. And I want to remind the listener that there's two places you can find all the links we've been talking about. One is right there in your podcast player. If you click on see more, if you look for the description section, there will be two links. One will be to Nora's Instagram and the other is going to be a link to the full blog post, which will have the FGP website on it with a discount code, any other references we've made here. My team who does that blog post often goes and finds links to all sorts of things. Maybe they'll even find your grandfather's film that you referenced. So oh my gosh, amazing. That will likely be throughout the blog post and in the resource section towards the bottom of it. So if you're eager to go and get everything, visit wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. There's show notes for every single episode. But if you want to keep it easy right here in your podcast player, there is a link to that page and you can continue the journey with Noor. Thank you again, Noor. This has just been so wonderful. It's hard to wrap up an episode like this, but I'll just end it with to be continued. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. To be continued.
Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 